Hey everybody, happy 2019. Welcome to the new year. Hope it's off to a rip-roaring start for you. Welcome to King of the Ride podcast, episode one of the new year. As always, I'm your host, I am Ted King, and please pardon me, I'm a I'm a nasally Ted King as I'm here on the tail end of a lingering holiday head cold. But despite that, we have a particularly awesome show in store for you today. Sarah Groff True is our guest on today's King of the Ride episode. Sarah True is her married professional name, married to Ben True, professional runner in his own right. Sarah Groff, as I once knew her in college, or S. Groffy on her very well-spoken Twitter handle, Sarah and I made the trip to have this conversation relatively equidistant from each other's homes in New England, she coming from New Hampshire and yours truly coming from Vermont, descending into little quaint Royalton, Vermont, and therefore we want to take a quick second to thank the First Branch Coffee Shop and Upper Pass Brewery for letting us drop in to a very fun, dynamic, let's call it, conversation in their home space. You'll hear a handful of of interesting noise and clatters throughout, but it's all nice uh, background white noise. Definite shout out to both of those establishments under one roof in Royalton. If you find yourself driving north-south on Route 89, take a quick zip off exit three and pay those guys a visit. On to Sarah. Sarah is a professional triathlete, not just any professional triathlete. She's a two-time Olympian, no less. She's recently and successfully moved from Olympic distance to Ironman distance triathlon, And while there is plenty of similarities, there are plenty of similarities between swim, bike, run world of both sports, they truly are two entirely different sports. And so sure, we as cyclists sometimes take a, let's call it holier than thou approach to triathlon. I think you will really dig her insight into the tribalism of triathlon and and endurance sports in general. Sarah explores the very welcoming nature of triathlon. And that's exactly the bigger issue we're taking on in the sport of cycling with each of its niches from road, mountain, cyclocross, and of course, gravel. That's another conversation entirely, but one that is ever more under the microscope with the center point of community in sports in general. I love how in this conversation, Sarah talks about her segue from school. We're both students at Middlebury College here in Vermont and then into triathlon. Maybe... She says, I'll give this a try because that's exactly the track from academia to the real world by way of professional sports that I took to my my entry into professional cycling. She continues a very successful career, fourth at Kona in her first attempt in her second Ironman ever. That's absolutely extraordinary. 2019 promises to be a very exciting year for Sarah. Anyway, this was a really enjoyable conversation to be part of. I want to thank Sarah very much for taking the trip, taking the time, making the drive, and making it happen. I also want to thank Strava for presenting this episode. Of particular note, visit 2018.strava.com, that is 2018.strava.com, to create and watch a personalized video of your 2018 year in sports. Now that we are into a new year, it's time to look back on your video, look back on your Strava year and start planning 2019. Strava is, of course, free to use whenever you go out for a workout, but it's those summit features such as training plans, filtered leaderboards to see where you stack up, pace analysis, or even live performance data. Those are all particularly beneficial. Listeners of King of the Ride podcast have this limited time offer. That is a chance to try those summit features for a free month. Just visit strava.com slash summit and enter the code KING 
all lowercase, K-I-N-G, at checkout. That is strava.com slash summit. Use code KING. And you will get a free month. Folks, that is it for me. Please enjoy this King of the Ride podcast with our special guest, Sarah True. Let's do a little scene setting because there's probably a marginal bit of noise in the background. We are, uh, well, first on the drive down here, the last time I checked the car thermometer was 37 degrees, nuking rain, and we are meeting right here in the middle of our two homes. I'm coming from the north, Richmond, Vermont. You're coming from the south in Hanover, New Hampshire? Uh, West Lebanon. Yeah. West Leb, right so pretty on. much Hanover. Okay. That's classier. It, <laughs> both wonderful spots. Um... It is Christmas week, so it's sort of no wonder that the weather is not sunny and warm. Um, And I bring up this nice long intro because, if I'm not mistaken, you are in search of warm weather in the not-too-distant future. Is that right? Yeah, I think uh, we actually don't have our plane tickets yet because we're we're (laughs) very last-minute people. I think there's this uh, stereotype about triathletes, and my husband's a professional runner, and, you know, our group being very type A, very organized. Um, we're kind of more fly by the seat of your pants. We we feel pretty good about the fact we actually have housing booked. Nice. Um, but I think either the first, second, something like that, we're, <laughs> we're heading to Arizona. Right on. Uh, yeah, it's good to have a little dynamic to your travels. Um, are you going, so you're going to Arizona early January. How long is that going to, how long is it, are you in search of warm weather? Uh, I think we'll probably be back here around March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Depends it, on race schedules, which we also don't have totally sure. nailed down yet. It must be a also very dynamic schedule process mm-hmm. trying to mesh up the two of your schedules, which is something that we're going to get to eventually. Um, so here we are. The second part of setting the scene is we're at a coffee shop slash, looks like a, I don't want to call it a beer shop. It's uh, it's Upper Pass Brewery, and they're selling both beer and wonderful soft goods. And then, of course, we're next to a kitchen, which adds some some. Yeah, there's there's a tray of I believe they're cheddar chive bacon biscuits uh-huh. um, about three feet away from us. And nice. if we just start, you know, chewing mid mid podcast, uh, you'll know why. You know exactly why. Well, there's they often, look very flaky. Yeah, there's often food and and beverage um, as key components in the King of the Ride podcast. Not Often are they served at the same place. So this is a wonderful amalgamation of all things. Um, Okay. Now, Sarah, I first, you and I first became acquainted at Middlebury where we were students together. We were, did we ever, how much? I don't think I ever met you at Middlebury. Okay. So uh, just, it's a small school. It's what's funny. It's a very small school. It caters to a lot of endurance athletes. Indirectly, I mean, sure, we have a great ski team, we have a Nordic ski team. Uh, you competed at swimming there? Yeah, yeah. Which summer. is something you also did growing up, presumably. You yep. don't just jump right into collegiate yeah, swimming. Okay. But then it's funny because, at least on the cycling side, you know, we have Leanne Saber Davison, uh, Evelyn Dong, uh, Spencer Palace, uh, Spencer Paxson, rather. Meg. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Multi time national champion. Um, and yourself, were you riding at all in Middlebury? Uh, a little bit. I had a road bike that I 
pedaled around a, a few times. Um, I, I did like a couple of triathlons every summer, super casual. Yeah, it was, it was not a big part of my life. Okay. And so when does triathlon become a big part of your life? Uh, so it was about three months away from graduation. I realized that either I have to apply to grad school or get a job yep. or s- just figure something out. I'm like, you know, this triathlon thing, I've done a few of them. Let's see how far I can take it, um, which is, you know, in hindsight, like my parents must have been a little horrified. Sure. They're like, ah, sure, you're, you're the third <laughs> kid. We don't really care by the time we get to you. Like, as long as you're not totally broke, it's, it's all good. Um, awesome. So I basically gave myself a two-year window, and I figured if I couldn't make it work at the end of two years, then time to go to grad school or figure something else out. And here I am, you know, over a decade later, nice. still doing it. Making it work. Making it Making work. Making it work big time. Uh, very successfully. Two-time Olympian. Freaking incredible. Um, when you first get into triathlon, are you immediately doing um, what I... Okay, I should also preface my my triathlon knowledge is few and far between. So let me try to show off some knowledge. Yeah, yeah. ITU? Yeah. Is it ITU and Olympic distance are the same thing? Uh, not necessarily. Okay, But Please I explain. am super impressed. Okay. And I got more. I'll so just drop knowledge throughout I, this podcast. I, I do believe I'm the first triathlete on your podcast. Yes. And I... Which we are thrilled. Thank you. This is a major burden because, like, I have to basically represent my sport and I know cycles are very hard on triathletes, so I'm going to do my best here. Um, so, all right, here's how my sport works. Great prefaced. Yeah. Basically, we have two forms of racing. We have non-draft racing, uh, which is the Ironman style, you know, put your head down, time trial, that sort of thing. And that's that encompasses everything from sprint triathlon to uh, Ironman. And there's even longer than Ironman, um, which is absolutely insane. I'll never do it. There's no money in it. That's bananas. What's that called? Uh, there's Ultraman, which is a three-day race. Uh. And then, yeah, can you imagine doing multiple marathons in, within three days? And uh. then there's, um, I think it's called a Decaman. Okay. So it's basically like 10 Ironman. I don't know. That, I can't that sounds tell you. akin to like Ram, right across America, race across yeah. America. You're like, mm. Yeah. Okay. But, the, but those are definite fringe um, elements. And then for the professional uh, side of things, there's also uh, draft legal racing. So it's, it's more kind of crit style. It's, there's either sprint triathlon or there's Olympic distance, um, hour to two hours in length. And, you know, they're lapped courses. They're really dynamic. Um, you know, they're more, there's a lot more tactics involved. And, you know, there are very few races domestically that are under the, the International Triathlon Union banner. Um, they're the ones who do the, the draft legal style racing. That's also what we do in the Olympics. Uh, so basically, if you sign up to do that, you are overseas, you know, six to nine months out of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, With how many, yeah. uh, how many competition days in a typical professional career? Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. year. So you, be, because of the, the impact of running, mm-hmm. uh, you don't do tons of races. So you might, with the shorter stuff, it might be, like, I think probably an average around 15. Okay. But with the longer stuff, so I'm now doing um, Ironman racing. This past year was my first year doing Ironman. It's totally bananas. We'll get into what a crazy sport it is. And I almost want to cut you off there. Oh, yeah. Because going into the Ironman distance is something that... that you've certainly done well, uh, to, to put it humbly. 
Um, so yeah, stick with the first chapter, shall we call it, doing yeah. the Olympic distance stuff. Yeah. Um, that is the that is what you stepped into when you're saying you're three months shy of graduation. You say I want to right. try out triathlon. It is that. I mean, are you? No, because it's it's until you make it basically national team yeah. level status. It's we have a whole bunch of pans banging around in the background, don't we? Yes. Uh, okay. To be. <laughs> it's part of the charm. Basically, until you make it to national team level, um, the the money's really tight. So at that time, there were a lot of Olympic distance non-draft races in the U.S. that had decent money. Okay. So I was basically just going paycheck to paycheck, trying to make money, trying to make it onto the national team. Do you have any sponsors at this point? No. Wow. No, it was years until I yeah. did. Yeah. Okay. And you said non-draft legal, mm -hmm. even though it's a short course stuff. Yeah. So it's, Which, but it's uh, still a two-hour race. And, sure. Yeah. 40K um, bike. And I'm glad you prefaced, okay, triathletes have this certain uh, uh, stereotype among cyclists and not to say that cyclists <laughs> are terribly cool because we are equally, you know, legs shorn and wearing spandex, but it was Jared Shoemaker, who I believe also lives in, is he a, is he an Upper Valley guy? And he went to Dartmouth, he okay. lives in Florida now. Yeah. Well, I went for a couple of rides with him and the fact that he didn't show up on a tri-bike, yeah. uh, aero, you know, typical tri bars and stuff. I was like, oh, this is a totally different sport. And he, you know, he can bang bars and he, you know, you practice by doing crits and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, got it. Which, to our unlearned audience, yes, triathletes have a great deal of bike handling skills, believe it or not. Um, I would actually say <laughs> it's, high, it's highly variable. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the, those of us who do the Olympic style racing, we have to have some because we're riding in packs. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I love my people. Good. But they're total dorks. <laughs> I love my dorky people. <laughs> if you're a triathlete listening, just my heart is going out, you know. Um, well said. Yeah, so I'm just going to preface it, this statement with that. Um, just know I am part of your tribe. Um, but... Yeah, there's some issues with, with triathletes on bikes. I, I think most uh, do not come from cycling backgrounds. They'll show up to group rides with a TT bike, mm. you know, wearing the short socks and, you know, the sleeveless jersey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a bit hairy. Um, it is, it's so funny how those yeah. very superficial things means so much to cyclists because in reality yes you could be on a tri bike with short socks and you know your compression sleeves and be freaking amazing and be able <laughs> yeah. to hack it but yeah. there's such a stereotypical uh, uh superficial nature of it all that maybe it's not well it's the way it's meant to be anyway it's, it's tribalism right <laughs> well so said. if you very well said i try to camouflage myself as a cyclist when i ride a bike now um uh -huh. around other cyclists because i know i will be more accepted uh -huh. now because i'm part of their tribe um, what I do love about triathletes is it's a very warm, inviting group in general, awesome. in, in terms of just people get psyched that you want to try the sport and it's pretty accepting. Like, I, I just think it is a little different from cycling in that way where you almost have to prove yourself before you're accepted. Whereas people are excited that just you've never done one before. I don't care. Like, yeah. I think that's awesome. Welcome to the party. <laughs> it is a positive, this sport, for sure. That's funny. And so maybe you are a, a, 
atypical example. If you're talking about these people who are dropping into their race for the first time, what is their, what's the typical triathlon they're doing? Like the central New Hampshire triathlon or Olympic distance? Yeah, I think, I think most people, um, they'll do a local sprint or Olympic distance race. Um, you know, it's, but then you have the people who decide that they want to go, you know, whole hog. They've never done a triathlon. They sign up for an Ironman. No kidding. Yeah. That's bananas. It's totally bananas. I mean, I've only wrapped my head around doing one a, a year ago. I'm like, okay, I can physically do this. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm a pretty fit individual. But we're talking people so. no swim background, no yeah. real running background. They're like... Iron Man, yep. that sounds tough. Yep, yep, yep. That's like tough mutter, right? And yeah. they sign up. And then, because it's a crazy expensive entry fee, uh-huh. once you buy everything, you got you to gotta follow through. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing how unexperienced some people are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Ballsy. We'll so put it that way. Is, is Iron, do you suppose within the, the realm of triathlon, is Iron Man the biggest... Moneymaker? Is that the one where people are signing up and, you know, put $800 down to, to or are they dropping into central New Hampshire triathlon? I'm yeah. making that one up. I don't yeah, think it exists. I, I don't think it exists, but let's start it. <laughs> let's start it. <laughs> uh, so I think because so much of the sport falls around the mythology of Ironman, um, it does have this tremendous draw yep. where it's just seen as, you know, the ultimate challenge where you're talking about covering this crazy distance in insane conditions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of us grew up seeing it on NBC Sports and like Julie Moss crawling across the finish line yep. where yep. it really just sticks in people's minds as being this incredible challenge that they want to do. So I think it, I don't, the, most triathletes do not do Ironman, but it definitely captures the imagination. So a little bit of backstory, um, Ironman is actually owned, it's a, it's a private company. Uh, so their job is to maximize profits. Big time. Um, which gets a little interesting when you're talking about sport. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, you know, they want to maximize profits. It's not necessarily great for pros but they want pros because it helps legitimize their sport. They don't really want to catch dopers because it's bad for the sport. You know, there Mm -hmm. are all these different levels, but then what they do because they create a product, they create these races that are very well run. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what you're getting. It's, it's, there's a certain guarantee as, as a consumer. Um, But it's a new world for me and it's, it's interesting because, sure. you know, coming from the Olympic style racing, you know, you're, you're talking about, it's, it's not about making money. It's about having Olympic sport. Huh? Um, I mean, that's the whole reason why we have the international triathlon union. And so it's just, which it's, is crazy to talk about Olympics, not in a money-making format well, because there yeah. are some people high up in the top brass of the I Olympic know. committee that are making a gratuitous amount of money. Yeah. Um, it's my goodness, yeah. Well, I appreciate the the ethos that you're tapping into there. Okay, so staying on the track of money, as you're competing ITU mm-hmm. and segueing is what you're doing now with Ironman Distance. Are you are you your own manager? Do you have a manager? How do how do I, sponsorships work? Yeah, so it is it is interesting. Um, 
I have gotten, what's, what's nice about my sport is that we have so many different categories, but it also means it's harder to get like a title sponsor. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're kind of like, you know, the NASCAR of sports where you'll, you'll see <laughs> our, our jerseys yeah. and we're, we're like, or our suits and we're plastered with logos. Um, and it's highly variable what each logo is worth, essentially. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. sometimes it's just product. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's not a lot of job security in that side of things. I, I do have an agent, um, and she's been helpful for a few things, but she, she doesn't come from triathlon. It's a totally different world. Yeah. It's, been, it's that side of things. Let's just say it's a good thing I'm not motivated by money. Uh-huh. Um, that has never been, I mean, obviously, I want to be able to, you know, pay for our mortgage, things like that. Uh-huh. Um, to be able to buy that flight on January 1st or 2nd. I know. So it's so just forth. going up every day. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> You'll get that quick last minute price drop. Don't worry. You're good. That's that's what we're, we're hoping that's for. We're holding out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, we, every year there's this period or every time your, your contracts go up for nego- renegotiation, it's, it's this scramble. So, you know, cycling, you're just trying to find a team. Mm-hmm. For us, it's you have all these different categories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this year I I went to uh, Ironman World Championships in October. Like I have to have a good race. Crushed it. <clears throat> so I, I ended up getting fourth, um, which you know, top American that should be pretty pretty in good. Her second ever. Ironman. Second ever Ironman. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Not bad. Yeah, um, you know, it was, I would have liked to hold on to third, but that's a totally different story. Um, but yeah, I figured I'm in pretty good position. Then you run up against, all of a sudden, you realize everybody's budgets sure. are set. And most yes. of my, my major categories kind of were open. Like, my contracts had expired. So when you talk about a category, bike, helmet, clothes, glasses, that sort of thing? So, yeah. So, okay. bike sponsor, swim sponsor, run sponsor, essentially. Yeah. You know, nutrition, all the things that you can imagine. Where it is good that we have different things, but all of a sudden, you're like, well, shoot. How the heck am I even going to get to races next year, yeah. let alone make a living out of this? So that was kind of the wow. position I was in, you know, a week after Kona, you know, one of the best races of my life should be, you know, easy to get this stuff done. I still don't have categories filled okay. for next year. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just because these budgets get set right. in June. So, and what kind of leverage do you it's, yeah. it's, like I said, it's, it's a totally different side of the sport that you don't expect, um, and I've just learned to roll with it. Like, sure. I went to two Olympic Games and got dropped by major sponsors right after the games. You're kidding. <laughs> same, well, actually, the same exact sponsor. And then, like, as <laughs> you get, yeah, as you get closer to the Olympics, they resign you. Oh, that's um, bananas. <laughs> yeah, it is a little. But you just, you can't, like, that can't be your motivator. Sure. No, yeah. absolutely not. I don't think anyone would get into endurance sports for the sake of chasing a paycheck. Right. But there's terrible job security, let's be honest. There is terrible job security. And and I think I am I'm seeing the spectrum of it because when I was racing a bike uh, for a professional European team, yeah, you sign on a dotted line. Yeah. It means head to toe, you're taken care of. And now I'm in this much more curious freelance. place. Yeah, freelance <laughs> where on one hand it's 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 great that you can pick and choose as opposed to being uh, pigeonholed into, you know, using so and so clothing because the right. team is using it right. whereas now I get to pick and choose uh, and so yeah I do get to go across the line and yeah. say I want to use this helmet I want to use this glass I want to use this clothing well, um, and that's that's what's been really good for me is because yeah. then you can choose what you actually believe in mm-hmm. and 
I've given up a lot of potential money to be able to work with companies I believe in because yeah. I think, you know, authenticity matters. 100%. And if I don't actually use a product, then why am, yeah. why am I going to take, you know, $20,000 from mm -hmm. them? That's absurd. That's um, awesome. But that's just me. Great set of ethos. Values. <laughs> Who needs those? <laughs> They're expensive, man. <laughs> In opportunity costs. So along the same line of, you know, the philosophy of it, what is your take on the process of, of training and competing? Because now instead of competing 10 to 15 times per year, as you were doing in ITU, yeah. now you're competing well, Five, you tell me. six, okay. yeah. So at, do two, two Ironman races? Full distances? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how, Well, yeah, okay. Two-fold question. One, I want to know how many times you can compete and what they might be, even though at the top yeah. of the show you said you don't oh, yeah. know your schedule. <laughs> and then we'll start there. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we're working backwards from, obviously, Kona's goal. Uh, what's either good or bad about these really long things. It's, it's, a, it's similar to if I were just a marathoner. Like you can only do two good Ironman races a year. And so I need to do one to qualify for Kona. Sure. And then it's Kona. Um, and Which is bananas to interrupt what you yeah. did in 27. What year are we in? 2018? Yeah. Because what? You qualified a handful of weeks before yeah, so you I qualified at Frankfurt getting qualified second. Qualified in, in July. Okay. And yeah. But in October. Second. I got second. Yeah. Amazing. To like the five-time world champion, <laughs> which largely, I Four mean, times, I imagine yeah. you sort of did that for the sake of experience too, to yeah. do a Kona, to figure out what it, what sort of animal this is. Yeah. So going in, um, going into the race this year, basically, well, going into my first Ironman, my coach was like, "Listen, I don't know what pace you can run. I don't know <laughs> what you can do. Like, because I'm asking him, okay, roughly ballpark, what pace should I go for on the run? He's like." I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. And this is, this guy's a physiologist, you know, he's is it the very, coach you were working with through. No. So okay. he's, he's new. He, he actually, um, he's one of the coaches now for, um, uh, Borhans Gra. And okay. so What's like, his name? uh, Dan Lorang, he's a new guy. Okay. Uh, the name certainly rings a bell. Yeah. Anyway, but he, he's I have working, former coaches now work with Bora. So. Okay. He, he's, he's working with some of the younger guys. Um, yeah. He has a handful of triathletes, including some who, like me, went from the Olympic distance, short course racing, to the long stuff. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. Yeah. So we started working together in December. Um, and, you know, to kind of compound things, like I was in terrible shape until beginning of June. So we're talking... A month out, yeah. like how the heck am I even going to get through this thing? Let alone, you know, race. Yep. Just all of a sudden, things just kind of fell into place, and we were both breathing a sigh of relief. But yep. I get there, I'm like, I don't really know what pace to go. I don't really know what to do. He's like, it's all, it's you just have to do one. Yeah. Like we don't know how fast you can be until you actually do it. Sure. And then you kind of step back and you're like, okay, well, I could have held probably ten watts higher on the bike. I could have done, right. you know, this pacing on the run. All right, now Insight. we know. Uh -huh. But it's it's definitely a fly by the seat of your pants. And then you get to Kona where it's, you know, 85 and humid and normally super windy. So it's a whole other set of extreme conditions. And like you don't know until you actually race there how you're going to respond. So just this year was a whole bunch of question marks. You know, I was I was prepared, yep. um, but it's still ultimately you have to do one to know how you're going to do because um, you can't train for it. Like uh, you can't train. Sure. An Ironman. No, absolutely not. <laughs>
Um, and I do want to talk about your training, which I guess could be the the follow up to that previous question. Like, tar, walk me through the your process. If you're going to only compete so many times per year, you know, contrast that to professional road racing side where you're yeah. competing 50 to 90 days a year. Yeah. You know, you sort of it becomes routine. Right. Whereas now you have to psych yourself up so much or find that your your you know your power numbers, your running numbers, your your splits are exactly where you want them. Hopefully. Yeah. Are you a person that's more about process? Are you are you really into the the, the end, the delivering on competition day? Like, where does your? Uh, I I like big races. I like you know the the high pressure races mm-hmm. and you know going in knowing that you're pretty prepared and this has been the focus for X number of months and yeah. you either deliver or you don't. I think that's racing at its best. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was racing a lot more frequently, it was easier to just, you know, you, you put aside, okay, I had a bad day, not a big deal. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the downs, the flip side to that is you have a bad day and you race infrequently, all of a sudden, it's hard to get contracts. It's hard, I mean, yeah. you know, it's hard to make money because a, a lot of my income comes from racing. Mm-hmm. So I only raced five times this year. Yeah. I better I better do pretty well at those if I sure. <laughs> want to make a living. Yeah. Um, and and I mean it also must sort of compound that on the mental side too. I mean where you could you could very easily begin questioning results and question you know say you have a bad day and and instead of trusting in the process and trusting that things are yeah. going well you you sort of get into your own head and say you know shoot what have I not done well yeah. which you know you've done. You've been a, a leader in, in, you know, destigmatizing depression. I've heard you in, in previous interviews talk about, you know, the angst of, of even going back to school and like being pre- trying to be prepared for a test, knowing you're prepared for a test, but then just the the, the angst and anxiety that that will come along with a high pressure moment. Yeah. So, how do you? I mean, that's sort of yeah, amazing to square that with I wanting think- to perform on the highest level. But I'm over a decade into my career. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, I didn't have the capability to show up to big races without, you know, crumbling under the pressure yeah. the same way. So I've kind of become numb to it where I now embrace it, but it's been a process. Sure. Like, I've had to get to this point. Um, and it, that's the cool thing about the sport for me is just how much I've evolved as a person mm-hmm. through it. And I don't know, like... There's no way I could have done what I did this year even five years ago. No kidding. Just, you know, my whole approach. I mean, I I went from only understanding how to train in a group and needing kind of that external stimulus to I now train thirty hour up to thirty hours a week by myself. Yeah. Fifty two year weeks a year. That's like wild. Okay, maybe not fifty two. Okay, I take a couple in there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But forty and a half. Um yeah. you know trying to get yourself psyched up for the third session of the day. And it's actually been pretty easy because I enjoy the process. I believe in my coach. I believe, yeah. um, you know, to go back to what we were talking about before, you know, part of this is just, there is an element of investment when it comes to endurance sport where you have to realize that at a certain point, it's going to pay off. You know, if you just put in the time, just stay consistent, it's going to pay off. And that you learn patience through it. Maybe it's not going to be six months down the road. Maybe it's not going to be a year. 
maybe it's three years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with this Ironman stuff, like, if I hadn't had years of just having to learn patience, I would have been terrible this year. But because I went into this year saying, okay, I'm going to have to run. I've never, you know, prior to this year, I'd never run more than 17 miles. No, more than 16 miles. Because that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I have to run a marathon off a bike. Yeah. So all of a sudden, if I want to do it right, I just need to just totally zen, just Mm -hmm. week by week, not get ahead of myself. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you just got to be all in. Yeah, which is Exactly to your point, what you said, where you know, for the first half of this year, 2018, from December through Jan, uh, through June, like weren't as fit as you needed to be, and then all of a sudden everything does yeah. click, and it is that patience. Yeah. Um, hey, you see, you see, athletes start to get stressed out, mm-hmm. and they start um, pushing too hard, you know, because they want to accelerate the process. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to totally be at peace with this is the speed that my body is responding to this training. Sure. And once you try to get ahead of yourself, just the, you know, the hormonal response, like if you're stressed out, mm-hmm. you're not going to absorb the training. You're probably going to get sick. You're probably going to get injured and just starts this t- this positive feedback loop where 100%. your season's over. Yeah. And you're not recovering, which is something that I want to ask about. I mean, if you're training, call it 30 hours a week. Is 30 an average or is that? 30's upper end. Upper end. Yeah. So 25 to 30. Okay. With a presumably a rest week every couple weeks, I mean, uh, how much chronic fatigue can you operate with? We don't really do rest weeks, but um, what's nice about what I'm doing now is so my easy days used to still be like three sessions. No kidding. Yeah, just garbage miles. Yeah. Um, and now my easy day is I swim and mm-hmm. I lift, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Which you know. Is still a lot for the average American, but for me, um, right. But my big days are still, you know, three sessions, yep. intensity, all that. Um, and the hard part really is the spacing. If you have three sessions in one day, uh-huh. trying to space it appropriately, and you know that that's a whole nother side. Uh-huh. Yeah. How? Okay, bigger picture. How do you fit it in? And then, how do you fit it in with Ben Ben's schedule? So Ben is a world class track and field athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, am I crazy? Did he set the U.S. 5K record? Road. Yeah, so he has the road record. So there are track records and okay. the road records, and he has the, the road I have zero record. U.S. record, so yeah. anybody who has any Me record too. is amazing in, in okay. my book. So, yeah, how do you, A, fit in your training, and then, B, how do you fit in this cobweb of training and travel and co- competition with, with your husband? Um... So basically, we both just happen to have careers that are professional sports. So he, you know, maybe he can make it to one or two of my races. Maybe I can make it to one or two of his all year. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're pretty autonomous. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that I'm now doing longer course stuff because it means I can actually spend time with my husband. Um, You know, before, when we first met, I was away most of the year. Kidding. And you try to make it work, and it's just, I would always be leaving. He would always be in New Hampshire. Uh-huh. Um, and you just pop off for his little races because he is a homebody. Yeah. You know, he just wants to, to be home and have his things around him and just the comforts. Um, he doesn't enjoy the going overseas to race, but he does it because he has to. Sure. I've always enjoyed the adventure. Um, opposites attract in that way. But, uh, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so... We are part of the other person's process in that, you know, a happy athlete 
is normally a bit faster. Yeah. So we try to do what we can to support the other. But um, honestly, he could have any profession and it really wouldn't change the way we interact. Yeah. How do you guys ever do? Are you training together? No. Are you traveling together? No. Zero. We're totally separate. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and how about the geography? I mean, to go back to the very beginning of the, the conversation talking about, it's 37 degrees outside, it's pouring rain. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of athletes who live in warm weather climates year-round or at altitude year-round. Um, I freaking love having recently moved back to New England. Yeah. And you've been here from the beginning. How? Yeah. How are you able to fit it in outside of, okay, obviously on, on early, early January, you're going to seek warmer weather for three months. Um, there's a lot of indoor training, a lot of virtual um, training. Both. So definitely, um, you know, skinny tires don't do so well outside. So if I'm doing things on my TT bike, I'm not going to be out there when it's like 28. Okay. Um, Cause just, it's hard to get anything accomplished. Uh, I think. I got to interrupt yeah. there. We got to ride together when it's freaking freezing. And we have been trying to ride together. Yeah, yeah. We've trying to get together. Um, I want to ride fat tires with you. And I don't mean fat tires like gravel. <laughs> like I'm riding 44C slicks and okay. I've been riding when it's single digits. Yeah. And it's still very effective. But I also don't well, want to interrupt don't, your program. I don't program, have so. a fat bike. It's not even a fat bike. This is literally oh. on my like cross road bike. Really? Yes. Okay. I think you have a decent bike sponsor and yeah. I bet you could... Okay. I'll see what they can yeah. do. No, I think um, there's something to be said about being outside. Yeah. And it's good for your brain. My people, my triathlete people, are very adverse to um, being outside mm -hmm. when it's anything under, like, 60 degrees and perfect. Yeah. Um, so, you know, part of my mission has been, hey, triathletes, you can live other places than Florida and California. You can go outside when it's in the 30s. Mm -hmm. You just have to be prepared. Yes. And no, you can't ride your tri bike. <laughs> Great Instagram post yesterday. It was a uh, yeah. <laughs> what time lapse of you putting on your winter clothes, yeah. which is a workout unto itself, let alone when you can't feel your fingers and you're done with the ride and you got to take it all off. But that was an awesome post. Yes, there's a there's a lot of the process that goes into putting on yeah. the winter clothes. When you, you learn these things, like, you know, the bar mitts are the best invention ever. But you don't know them mm -hmm. at the start. You, you know, you have to be taught how to be prepared for winter riding. Big time. Yeah. It's taken, so I grew up in New England, got into cycling at Middlebury. Right. But it's taken literally up to this point to feel as prepared and excited to go out. Okay, I didn't ride outside today because the 30s in raining is miserable. No, but it's you're no right. fun. Bar mitts are huge. Yeah. Having the right gloves is huge. Yeah. Having the right shoes. I'm wearing oh, yeah. some 45 Norths, which are already a winter shoe, and you throw a throw a, a toe warmer in there. Oh. It's the right fenders. It's the right oh, fenders. helmet, yeah. ear, face mask combination. Yeah. And I come home from these rides, and I'm like, that wasn't that cold. bad. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, I freaking love being back here this time of year. I, so I... I out of college, I moved to Boulder because that's where, you know, most of triathlon is. Mm -hmm. And they think they have winter. Oh, gosh, no. No. They have winter for a day and then they yeah. have summer the next day. Right. I really, I really missed it. I missed water. I missed trees. I missed seasons, you know, really distinct seasons. Um, I mean, New England's home. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're, I'm glad you're back. I'm psyched to be back. <laughs> um, what, born and raised Cooperstown? Is yep. that right? Yeah. Which I... 
of course, we all know for the wonderful Baseball Hall of Fame, my brother just wrapped up a oh, semester at, well, he's wrapped up a semester at Bassett School. Okay. Um, he graduates this spring, and he would just rave about the road riding around yeah, Cooperstown. Yeah, it's, it's not too bad. It is lush and green and low traffic and yeah. amazing spot. Farm roads. So, yeah. Great segue. Uh, I've heard also that you and Ben would like to ultimately settle down with a farm and oh, goats yeah. and animals. Yeah. No, I, I think we definitely want land. Uh -huh. um, I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with goats. So as long as I have like a few goats yeah. and a donkey, <laughs> we really want a donkey. <laughs> Okay. Ben, ben wants, he says it's a, a maple donkey specifically. Is that a thing? We're making it a thing. Okay. I mean. How does one describe a maple donkey? A maple donkey, because when you go out and you collect all the, the sap from, uh -huh. you know, from the taps. I see where you're going with this. You could use, you know, equipment, but it's better to go and have a maple donkey who once a going year. Going tree to tree. Yeah, tree to tree. You load them up. Yes. Or her. Okay. Equal opportunity. We gotta we gotta paint the picture for our non maple syrup loving friends. Oh, so yeah. in the good old days, you'd put a hole into a tree, and then there's a bucket under the hole, and these sap drips drip by drip into the bucket, and then a horse and sleigh and maple sugar farmer would go tree to tree collecting the buckets of sap and pouring them into a giant vat of sap, being pulled by the horse and sleigh. And then you boil that sap down and you produce maple syrup. I think what Sarah's alluding to is a donkey. Yep. <laughs> as the as the draft animal. Yep. Oh, that's outstanding. Do you have a name for said maple donkey? No. Okay. Not yet. No. We're working on it. You nice. know, we have some time. Um, are you zeroing in on New England? Is that still the area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For right sure. On. So Vermont and New Hampshire. Uh -huh. That's probably it. Which brings up a wonderful point. I'm born and raised in New Hampshire. Went to school in Vermont. That was my first introduction. My nerdy side story is my cousin graduated from Middlebury when I was 10 years old, and I mm. went to that graduation, and I was like, hey, mom and dad, I want to go to school here. Fast forward eight years, I went to school there. There's something to me that's very special about both places, but yet they're very different. Yeah. And you live a stone's throw from Vermont in New Hampshire. Right. Where does your heart lie? Um, so New Hampshire... There's no income tax. Yes. The tax incentives are huge. <laughs> no sales tax. <laughs> no sales tax. Basically, I'll put it this way. We like to ride and run in Vermont yeah. and live in New Hampshire. <laughs> I, you couldn't be in a better place for it. The roads are better in Vermont. They're at better. Least when it's, I would train with Milliman and that. Totally. Yeah. It's wild. You 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 notice a distinct difference. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's funny. Yeah. So we're, we are on the other side of the river. Um, so we feel like we have a little bit of best of both worlds yes. situation going on. Excellent. Well, if we can convince you to move over, that'd be great. And if not, we'll come, well, what, come visit you and go shopping at the same time. Once we retire, we're not going to have income. So that's perfect. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you have recently set on this very cool endeavor. Oh yeah. Speaking of income, hopefully it's lucrative, uh, in the form of Linden and True coffee. Right. Um, I could give a preface to that, but you tell me about it. Yeah, so basically, um, as long as I've known my husband, Ben, uh, he said that his post-running career would be coffee roasting. Like, you know, you keep on saying that, bud. 
you got to put your money where your mouth is. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You've never roasted coffee a day in your life. Uh-huh. So fast forward to last year, he buys a coffee roaster. And then the obsession really brings goes up another level. And I He bought a full-fledged industrial size? No. No, like only a one and a half kilo. Size? Yeah. Okay. So it's a small roaster. But um and basically uh so Des Linden, who's a US marathoner, her husband gets into coffee roasting about the same time. I can't handle all the roasting talk because I don't really care if you change the delta like three minutes in what the effect on, you know, first crack will be. Uh-huh. I'm just, I love drinking coffee. I love brewing it, all that stuff, but I don't really care about the roasting side that much. Got it. And I basically, you know, we set our husbands up um, on kind of a, a, bro, a brewmance is what we call oh, it. Oh, well said. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> a little nice. cheesy. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, they were like, oh, we should set up a coffee business and launch Boston Marathon Weekend. And I'm like, you guys are insane. We don't, we can't start a business in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Fast forward to Boston Marathon. We're watching TV and we see Des Linden is winning. And Ben and I just look at each other like, well, I guess we're going to have to learn how to uh, set up a real business. I mean, we, we were just planning on a soft launch in Boston. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, after she wins, it's big deal. We have to figure out e-commerce and everything. Yeah. It was just going to be like super small scale, you know, maybe 80 subscribers a month. Just while we kind of got up to speed learning everything you need to know about business. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, honestly get really good at roasting. And was Ryan, Ryan Linden, presumably yeah. thinking the same thing? Like, hey, we're going to slowly segue into this. We'll figure it out. Who knows? Or Who knows? did I he have a no, trick up his sleeve that he knew that she was going to crush the freaking no, marathon? No, no. So if, if you didn't watch the race, um, it was kind of conditions like today, actually. Yeah, Just totally. pouring rain. <laughs> really cold, and it was a race of attrition uh-huh. where all the heavy favorites had to pull out because of basically hypothermia. And Des, who lives in Michigan uh-huh. and is just tough and stubborn, persisted and won. And, you know, don't get me wrong, she's a world-class marathoner, but it was just the perfect conditions for her. First American winner in, you know, over 30 years, Huge deal. Right. And she's um, always been knocking on the door. She's yeah, been, always been knocking know, at the door. Podium second, yeah. I think twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of America's best runners, but never had that big win. Right. Exactly. So all of a sudden, um, you know, we, we have this amazing opportunity, but what do we want to do with it? And we, we still don't know. We're still trying to figure out our vision. We have kind of a split in the company where it's like, all right, do we want to really make sure we have everything rock solid before we scale up? Then the other side says, we have these amazing opportunities. Let's go for it. We're having an internal, you know, not struggle. It's more of a debate mm-hmm. um, about the future of the company. And it's, it's cool. You know, yeah. it's a great position to be in, I think. Well, having, we were just having this conversation the other day at home. I know we bought 12 pounds of coffee because <laughs> thanks to your... Um, fine customer service when I suggested you start selling five-pound bags. You've opened up five-pound bags and yeah. purchased two of those plus two one-pound bags. I think that puts me somewhere in the marginal lead in 
coffee consumption. Maybe not. I mean, no, okay. No. Gosh we, darn we it. We have some loyal customers. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm still psyched <laughs> the five pound you. bag was on there. Uh, <laughs> stuff is amazing. It must be fascinating looking at, I mean, when you walked in here today, looking at any sort of business, looking at a coffee yeah. shop, and you just sort of see things a little bit differently. Um, yeah. I mean, coffee is delicious and it's amazing. And, you know, if this is going to be my life after sport, mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with it. And that's, that's the part that I think we really went in. Like I went in with some trepidation because I, you know, I don't know if I have any interest in business. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was never something that was really on my radar. But Especially when you're farming. Yeah. Hanging out I, with a donkey. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, who knows how much hay that guy's going to need, <laughs> but can coffee beans provide it? Uh-huh, We're uh-huh. going to find out. Um, so, yeah, basically, like, we got in and I realized that I have way more interest in business than I ever thought. Um, you know, another element is, am I going to work well with my spouse mm-hmm. as a business partner? Is there plenty? Very important It's super important. Yeah, yeah. Because is he going to get bossy? You know, we had, okay, we did have some initial problems because I get a little distracted and I try to multitask and I'm the world's <laughs> worst multitasker. Uh-huh. Within the first two weeks of us sending stuff out, yeah. we get this email and a photo from somebody and they're mm-hmm. like, I think you forgot something. Yeah. And it's just an empty box. Oh, then no he looks at me and he's like, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, the customer had a great sense of humor. There yeah. was supposed to be a hat in the box. Uh-huh. Um, we have since, you know, put in an extra layer of uh, due diligence to make sure that I don't do that again. Um, but yeah, yeah, we. Good checks and balances system. We actually like working together, which is uh-huh. really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. How. Not to go too far into the details, I mean, when you're traveling for the next three months, is that presumably you're not bringing the one kilo roaster with you? Well, we, oh. we do have a bigger roaster now Okay. Um, <laughs> that lives up, my, my, my parents live about 20 minutes north of us. Okay. And they thankfully have a barn oh, that, that's perfect. yeah, has plenty of room for a big old roaster. That is outstanding. And, well, right, so then how, as you're in Arizona, yeah. they're... Your parents are not doing the roasting. Is that going to fall no, on no. Lyndon's for a bit? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, coffee's great. Thank you. Keep doing that. Entrepreneurialism is certainly fun. Yeah. So keep doing that. Well, I think um, you know, there are parallels between being an athlete and being an entrepreneur. And Big time. It's really, it's really cool to start seeing... The, seeing that mm-hmm. and experiencing it and it's really if you're curious and you like skills acquisition mm-hmm. and you're like you know progress minded so I think that's the biggest thing is you're going to make mistakes it's really how you respond to them sure and whether or not you're willing to adjust quickly um, and we Ben and I are both really happy to do that we are able to separate ego because um, mm-hmm. it's just numbers sure and I think that's important too. Where, hey, listen, this this decision we made was not a good one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. On to the next decision. That's perfect. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the same thing can be said with the endurance athlete going into entrepreneurialism because all, they the only thing that they know up to that point is hard work. You see the result afterwards. Yeah. More input of hard work, the reward is going to come out again with the element of patience. So, I mean, especially when you're when you have to dig in those. 
60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hour weeks in the upstart, you know, time of a company. Yeah. That's, that's the sweat equity at its finest. Yes, we, we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do, whether or not, um, you know, that kind of uh, growing the business at this point makes sense, or I think we would be very happy keeping it small and just becoming, you can't be, ever be perfect in anything in life, but Ben and I would like to get a bit closer to perfection um, <laughs> with, with the coffee stuff before we start scaling up. Yeah. I think that's ultimately what we're more interested in. Is a coffee shop in the future? Possibly, yeah. Anyone's guess. Yeah. Plenty of time. Yeah. I think, uh, well, we, we're already talking about places in Hanover. Oh, that's awesome. Because there's no place for really good coffee. Right? Yeah. That's painful. Um, remind me how old you are, if you're willing to say. Uh, I just turned 37. Congratulations. Thank you. That sounds like a recent happy birthday. <laughs> um, do you have any sort of timeline? Do you know how long you want to compete? Do you know... Is it uh, throw caution in the wind and say, hey, let's do it until it's no longer fun? I'm definitely racing this year. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. Um, well said. And then, you know, I've just, I've reached the point in my career where every year that I'm excited to race and to train is a bonus. Um, yeah, I think you reach a bonus phase. And I'm in the bonus phase, and I'm totally psyched about it. Mm -hmm. um, just take it a year at a time. You know, might take a little break and then come back. We'll see. It's awesome. <laughs> um, What's awesome about a, being a female endurance athlete is you can have a long career. Yeah. I mean, just look at Katie Compton. Sure. Oh, Goals. my word. 15? Yeah. 15 consecutive? <laughs> and I love I mean, she's still... I don't know if you saw the interview afterwards. She's as a cool as a cucumber, but B she's as psyched as ever, yeah. you know, and now yeah. she gears up and gets ready for yeah. worlds and wild. Well, that's about all I got. All right. Um, Sarah, I thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you oh, for my pleasure. driving up here. Now we have to go soldier through some tough weather, but thank you very much. <laughs> I wish you an awesome Christmas and safe travels in the early new year. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode with Sarah. If you like this King of the Ride podcast, I ask that you take a quick second, hit subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app it is you're listening. And speaking of which, this is episode 24. If you're new to King of the Ride, or even if you're not, there are a lot of really great conversations sitting in these archives. I only started this podcast past May, May of 2018, so it's all still recent relevant stuff. Just take a quick minute, dig through that, and something will pop up that definitely interests you. As I mentioned earlier in the show, today's episode is presented by Strava. Again, basic Strava is free, and that is a wonderful product unto itself, but it's Summit. It's the Summit features such as training plans, again, that live performance data, pace analysis, filtered leaderboards, those are all particularly beneficial going into 2019. Listeners of King of the Ride have this limited time offer. That is a chance to try out Summit features for a free month. That is awesome. Check it out at strava.com slash summit. Enter code KING, K-I-N-G, all lowercase, at checkout, and you'll get a free month of Strava Summit. Thanks again very much for listening, folks. I am already looking forward to the next episode. In the meantime, please enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.